You're listening to episode 45 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Many of you listeners are either entrepreneurs, side hustlers, or even just passionate creatives who utilize the internet as an outlet to share your work. My question for you this week is, how well is your work protected? As you may remember from my solo episode named Purpose Over Perfect, I shared that my book took a hit after I received a cease and desist letter. I also vowed to find an expert on this topic to help us navigate these murky waters of copyright and trademark. Before I introduce you to brand protection attorney Andrea Sager, let's go over the review of the week. This week's review comes from AP Gate and it reads, Whoa, I had no idea about Twin Flames and somehow stumbled upon this episode at the exact time I needed it. What an awesome episode. I can't wait to learn more. AP Gate is referring to the episode featuring Twin Flames Universe Vice President Sama Amlashi. Thank you, AP Gate, for taking the time to leave such a lovely review. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts for a chance to have your review featured. All right, it's time to dive into the world of brand protection and meet this week's guest. You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Andrea Sager. Andrea is a brand protection attorney with a virtual law firm specializing in copyrights and trademarks. Andrea is the go-to brand protection attorney for the modern-day entrepreneur, protecting everything from their brand names to courses and even blog posts. Andrea, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you join me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped about this. Oh my goodness. Well, to get us going, let's just get a little bit of your journey and your background. What made you choose brand protection for small businesses as your area of focus? So I actually used to have a business before my law firm. I owned a women's clothing boutique. I was online and then I opened a brick and mortar store and then... I sold it once I started practicing law and I was at a large firm when I first started and I had a lot of other boutique owners reach out to me for different help with stuff. And originally I actually wanted to be a tax attorney. Thank God that didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I, I really just kind of fell into it by meeting the demand of small businesses because I had a large number of boutique owners reach out to me asking me for trademark work, trademark and copyright work. And I most, it actually never worked out when I was at the firm because I would tell them, you know, yeah, I can help you. My firm can help you, but you know, it's a large firm. Their rates are outrageous. And then finally I actually did have somebody who was like, I don't care about the rates. Like I just need to get a trademark done. I was like, okay, well, you know, let's get you set up. Well, then at the firm that I was at, they had this whole onboarding process and they had to do, I I don't know. They just had this whole process and one of the partners, so a partner had to approve incoming clients and one of the partners that was approving it, he basically came to me and was like, this is a low quality client. Like, why would you want to bring them in here? And then, and I mean, to I guess to them, it was a low quality client, but to me, I mean, they, they didn't balk at the prices. They were going to pay them with no issues. And 
they were a multi six figure business. I don't, I don't think they were a seven figure business at that time, but they were a great business. They like that moment was really a defining moment for me knowing I did not want to work in big law, big law anymore. So it was like that moment forward. I was like, okay, now I'm just planning my exit out of this firm because I knew I wanted to serve small businesses because they, I mean, they need help just like everybody else and they can pay just like everybody else. Right. Right. So you really just found, found the niche and was like, screw this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. How long ago did, did you leave the firm and open up uh, your own business? So just over a year ago, it was the end of April and end of April in 2018. Wow. You've been hustling since. Yes, I have. (laughs) Well, you know, we hear these two terms a lot. So can you break down what the difference between a trademark and a copyright is? Absolutely. Yes. This is one of the most, these two terms are some of the most misused terms amongst entrepreneurs. And it's very very important to know the difference because filing for one when you need to file for the other can be, first of all, it can, you know, you'll just waste your money. And second of all, you'll think you have protection when you don't. So the copy, the easy way to think about it is copyrights equal content. So Mm -hmm. any content that you produce, whether it be photography, videos, blogs, just think of all your content that is covered by a copyright. And then for trademarks, that is all of your branding. Anything that identifies your brand, your brand name, your logo, your slogan, any product lines, any new lines of services that you provide, anything that identifies you and your brand, that can be trademarked. Mm. That's a really easy way of remembering it too. Yeah, people people really try to complicate, and they don't try to complicate it, it just... It seems more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be at all. So that's why I'm like on this mission to really educate people and let them know it's not scary. It's totally doable. And it's easy to know the difference as long as you just actually take the time to get educated about it. Right. Well, Andrew, let me give you a little backstory real quick. So when we have first connected, I mentioned to you that I was looking for an expert in trademark and copyright but I didn't actually tell you why. (laughs) So about, I don't know, I guess it's been about four months now. I received my very first cease and desist letter over a a book that I had published over a year ago. I I literally couldn't believe it when I got it. We were out the door. um, I was promised my kids ice cream and I like checked my email last minute. See that I have this letter. My heart sinks, right? Like I tears fill my eyes. So after a year after the book had been published, Someone had trademarked the term mind love, which was the title of my book. So the term didn't become an official trademark until about three weeks before I received that letter. Um, And the application to the trademark wasn't submitted until about two months after I published the book. And I did a little bit of my own research and I saw that she had backdated that term until I think like 2017 or 16. Um, So I knew I had two options. I could fight it or I could surrender it and just change the title of my book. I chose the latter mostly because I was like, this is more cost effective. It seemed like a massive headache to me, right? (laughs) So I was just like, this is a lot clearly. And in my business sense, I'm like, someone's trying to build their brand around this term. To me, it was just, it's part of my brand, right? It's not like my full brand. Right. Easier for me to change the book from 
Mind Love by Size Thought and Legacy Fuel Your Life to Mindful Love, right? Just add on three. <laughs> three little <Yeah. laughs> characters and boom, done. So I, when I told the audience about this, I promised the listeners that we would have an episode on trademarks and copyrights because clearly, you know, a business veteran like me still doesn't have it all under their belt. I know others, you know, up and coming people may not know as well. So how do we as business owners know when we need a trademark? Yeah. So first of all, that's, you're not alone with that story because I actually work with some very big businesses and you would be so surprised at how many of them have no protection whatsoever. And I'm like, how are you a multi seven figure business and you don't have anything protected? It just blows my mind. So, okay. This is a great question because I actually get this all the time because there are some people who are just starting out and they're like, okay, I want to, you know, do everything right from the beginning. I want to be protected. You know, is this, is now a good time. And honestly, it at the beginning may not be a good time because if you're just testing the waters and you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to be in business, you know, six months from now, I'm really just testing it. Then that may not be the time to file your trademark. Mm. So I tell people after you've been in business for a while and you know, okay, this is a thing, like I'm actually going to stick with this. I know this is, you know, I'm going somewhere with this. Then that's the time that you want to file a trademark. Uh And, and I say that because most of the businesses that I work with, they don't have unlimited funds. So certainly do have, you know, money to spend to protect yourself from the beginning, then absolutely it should be done from the beginning. But if you're just testing and you don't really know if it's going to work out, then just wait and see, because you do still have common law rights Mm. and the common law rights provide you with a little bit of protection, but it's enough to get started. And basically common law trademarks are enforced regionally. So if there's someone within your state, then that is using, you know, your, what you are claiming to be your common law trademark, then you could still possibly send a cease and desist letter based on common law rights. Mm. Yeah. And then you also, besides the common law rights, what's best to be done from the beginning is the official trademark search, which is done from a done through an attorney and it's a comprehensive search. We um, it's, it runs everything because trademark infringement doesn't just occur when it's the same exact name. It can be a similar name selling similar goods or services. Uh So a lot of people think, okay, I can get away with having this plural or past tense or adding the to the beginning. Um, But that's not the case because trademark infringement occurs when there's consumer confusion and consumer confusion can occur even when there is just a similar name, not the, not just the same exact name. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So if you're just starting out and you are just testing, but you kind of want to know like, Hey, am I going in the right direction? We'll run a trademark search. It's not expensive. You can get it done relatively quickly. And that will provide you with good peace of mind knowing that I'm not infringing on someone else's trademark. You may not have the rights you know, you don't have the registration, but you still know that you're not infringing on someone else's mark. Now, is that, is the search different than just going to like the trademark website and typing it in? Is, is Absolutely. It, okay. Yeah. So how is that, how does the search differ? I assume it's just more encompassing a, a deeper yeah. search. 
Yeah, because like I said, it's not just the same words. So when you type in when you type it into the USPTO website, you're you're really just searching for the same exact name. Most people do because most people don't know what else to look for. Right. So you're typing in the same exact name and that's a good great place to start. You you know, you go to the test database on the USPTO website, type in the name that you want to use, you see, you know, maybe it is taken, maybe it's not taken. And then you can do some more research from there. But even just doing that knockout search can help as well. Yeah. So when, if you were to use that site, maybe for just like a starter, like, yeah, next time I name a book, <laughs> just yeah. make, make sure that it's not used. I did notice that some of them, like it says, I think it's live or dead or, you know, something in, in that same respect. Are you allowed to use a trademark that's no longer live? Like if someone had previously used it, can you then still use it? Yes. And that's where a lot of people still get tripped up with the USPTO website because there's still other things you can look for. First of all, it could say live and it still not be a registered trademark. It could say dead and that means you most likely can still use it. But that person, the owner of that trademark may just they may not have renewed the trademark and they're still relying on their common law rights. Ah. So there's a, there's a million things you have to look for, which is why it's really important to run an official trademark search. Yes. Yeah. The trademark attorneys know what they're looking for as far as what, cause you can say, you know, you have a podcast and you have your brand name and then somebody has an airline with the same name. Mm. Well, those aren't going to cause confusion with each other. Right. So both can still coexist. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Interesting. So because they're not the same product, essentially. Exactly. So it's not going to have the same confusion. Kind of like if there was like a soda and a book. <laughs> like it's just yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, one of the very different things. Yeah. One of the most famous examples and one that I often use is there's Delta Airlines and then there's Delta, you know, Sync. Ah, you know, the yes. They are both registered trademarks and they're both completely unrelated. Interesting. And yeah, so they can coexist. Yeah, that's a really good example. So can you break down what a class of goods or services are when it comes to trademarks? What is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there are 45 different classes of goods Ooh. and services. Yes. There's, there's 34 classes of goods and then the remaining are services. Now you file your trademark in a certain class and whatever, however many, like whatever services or goods that you're providing to the public, that's what you want to file your trademark in. So I work with a lot of boutique owners. They qualify for several classes typically. So say they only sell clothing apparel, um, then they first would qualify for the apparel class, which is clothing, hats, shoes, everything that they sell within that class of apparel, they can claim on their application. And then they also qualify, a lot of people don't know this, that they also qualify for basically store services. The USPTO qualifies the fact that you have a store as a service because you're curating all these goods to present to your customer. So that's a service. And then if they sell jewelry, that's a different class. 
If they sell handbags, that's a different class. If they sell home goods such as like cups or mugs, that's a separate class. Wow. And then, yeah, <laughs> say you have like wall hangings, like little uh, canvases, that's a different class. So yeah, it can get, um, there can be a lot of different classes in there. How many can you, I mean, is it unlimited that you can apply for with, within the classes? Yeah, absolutely. You can, as long as you sell in that class or you plan on selling in that class, then you can file in that class. So what happens if someone say they have to, you know, they're registering within, I don't know, 10 classes and one of those classes, let's say jewelry is already trademarked by someone else. How, what happens then? So if it's the same exact name, then they will, they will get a refusal for it. Mm. and they have to either try to figure out a way to overcome the refusal or they just won't be registered in that class. Now, um, if it's not the same exact name, then they can, they can also still try to overcome the refusal. You can, you just have to provide a set, like a legal response, basic kind of like appealing a judge's decision. Right. That's kind of how it is. Um, or they, if they can't overcome it, then they just won't be registered in that class. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to stop selling in that class. But if the business who does have the trademark within that class, you know, they get wind of everything, they can send you a cease and desist letter and rightfully so, because they could sue you if you're still selling. Oh, sounds like a headache. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely need an expert on this. Cause I can already, I'm like, my mind is like, Whoa, <laughs> like, yeah, that's why we have people like you. <laughs> yeah. Sure. We always need good people on our side to protect our brands. So we've talked a lot about trademarks and I, I feel like that is like a rabbit hole. We could continue to go down, but I know that there's also a lot of listeners who may need more copyright help. So when does it make more sense to have a copyright? So if you have your content, certainly photographers, they, I always suggest them filing before they publish the work only because they have, um, they can register multiple works in an application. Mm. So if there's a wedding photographer and they shoot, you know, thousands of photos in one day, they don't, so the, the normal filing fee is $55 for a copyright. They don't want to file one photo and each photo and pay $55. Right. That's expensive. <laughs> yeah. So the copyright office recognizes that and they have provided an easy option for photographers or anybody else that really has multiple works that are related and they can be filed in a multi-work application. Mm-hmm. Now, when does it make sense to file? I honestly say anytime you're producing content because the sooner that you file, the better it is for you because if you file before someone infringes, then you're eligible for what's called statutory damages. If you find someone infringing on your copyright. Right. So I, I know we have a lot of listeners who they're creative entrepreneurs. What happens if their work isn't registered with the copyright office? Is there still protection for them if they see someone else using their work? Yes. So I deal with this all the time. Actually, I have a lot of people who don't want to file or they just haven't filed, but if they haven't filed yet, or if they don't have their registration yet, you can submit what's called a DMCA takedown notice. And that is the digital millennium copyright act. 
they, there's a law that basically says if there, um, if there is unauthorized use of the work, you submit a takedown and that work is removed typically within 24 to 48 business hours. And this can be submitted to Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, Poshmark, Pinterest, you name it, like Shopify, any website, it can be submitted anywhere online and it will be removed. Yeah. (laughs) So you can just do it right through the platform. Like you don't even have to go elsewhere or outside of it. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know that there's a lot of people, I see it all the time. If they have, um, let's say an Amazon store and then those people will take the pictures from Amazon and use them on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. And then like a lot of times you're not getting what you buy on eBay because it's not (laughs) correctly. Exactly. So that would kind of have the same thing. Someone could go to eBay and be like, whoa, those are my pictures. Yeah. I do that pretty much daily. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can, and I can imagine you say you work with a lot of boutiques. I could only imagine that happens a lot. Oh yeah. Selling the same clothing that, you know, they're getting in bulk and it's easier to just take someone's picture than it is to take your own. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of ride that way for a second because after, I don't know, nearly 10 years I worked in digital media, I saw and still see this happening that, you know, a lot of photographers, when we're scrolling on Instagram, you'll just see that one photo being used without their permission. And a lot of times people aren't doing it to be malicious, um, nor are they doing it with the the intended purpose to copyright. Um, I've seen it happen where someone will take someone's photo and give them credit, right? Like, so like they'll tag them like photo by at so-and-so. And then they're like, some, that owner is like, hey, take my picture down. I didn't give you, you know, the rights to use it. So how can we, I don't know, repost on Instagram without violating copyright? So this is a great question because a lot of people do post the photo thinking and give credit thinking if you give credit, it's okay. It is 100% not okay. It is still copyright infringement. Mm. But I know with Instagram basically you can do like the regram app Mm. and their Instagram's terms of service and the app's terms of service carve it out to where it's not copyright infringement. Interesting. So by using Instagram and that the regram app, it can't be copyright infringement. Interesting. And that's because I, the regram has their, um, the name at the top, right? It says like regal. Yeah. And the person's thing. So it's almost like watermarked on there. Like you can't take it off. Right. Um, and then even if you don't give them credit in the, in the caption, it's like still there on their photo, which in regram, it takes their whole, if for anyone not who doesn't know what it is, it takes your entire caption from that post and puts it into a new post as well. So you would essentially be taking the original author's text and photo and reposting it as your own. Yes. Oh man. I feel like this is just like some murky waters. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> use your own stuff all the yes, time. That's the, that's the easiest way to avoid any kind of infringement is, sh- is just to be original. Be original, take your own photo because photography and using photos from the internet, that's the biggest, that's the easiest way for you to get in trouble. And it's the most, you know, convenient way for you 
to commit copyright infringement, Mm. but just know using any photos on Pinterest, Google, yes, they're there. They're pretty to look at, but they're not free for you to use. Yeah. And there's always so many great tools like Canva or stock photography, where if you have a Canva, um, service, they give you so many free photos as part Mm -hmm. of what the $12 a month that you pay. Even if you don't pay their business fee, you, you still have a a wide variety of free photos that you can use for stock, or you just buy them for a dollar for a one-time use. And that's a really good way, I think, to just play it safe. And But there are also protections with those. I, I know as well, like some some photos you can't use in your print material or... Something. Well, they have Canva has their terms of service, which basically says you can use... Um, they give limitations for like Mm. print. If it's going to be used for like 500 flyers or you can't use it for more than a thousand flyer, like printed materials. Um, you know, they, they have their own terms of use and limits to what you can use them for. And if you go over those limits, then you have to pay extra. So it's really important that I feel like our, our audience also really pay attention to these terms of services on all these different sites too. Yes. Oh, because that's like where all the information is that you probably need to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'd like to add on that I downloaded your small biz uh, vault with the seven free downloads and Ooh. I had no idea there was a such thing as a podcast guest consent contract. I just had no <laughs> idea. I was like, dang, I've been doing this whole thing wrong, but I just wanted to thank you for bringing it to my attention and providing a great template. It's definitely something I'm going to be implementing ongoing. And I know if if you're a business owner and you're listening, you will love, I mean, love this free collection of contracts that Andrea has given. Um, Tell us a little bit more about what's included in, in that freebie of yours. Yeah. So I've curated basically seven con seven or eight contracts that I know are most useful to small businesses Um, so the podcast guest consent, and actually you don't necessarily need the guest consent, but it provide, it basically is just, it allows you to provide set expectations Mm, and it basically just allows both parties to really be clear on what the expectations are of each party. Yeah. So it's not necessarily like, Hey, I'm going to sue you if you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, don't abide by this guest consent, but it just provides more better expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see what else is there. I know there is a model consent form, a brand rep consent. So if you are a product-based business and you're working with brand reps or, uh, models, you'll definitely want to be using those consents. Also an influencer contract. If you're working with an influencer debt, always, I get so many, so many issues with arrangements between influencers and brands because they don't like to put things in writing. Really? Yes. And again, it's not like you're going to sue someone over it, but you want to have clear expectations. Hmm. That's so surprising that they don't have this in writing. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. But hey, you're giving them the template, so no excuses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just like was going through that and I was like, man, there are so many, so many goodies in here. Um, yeah. I, I also feel like when you're doing a, a model consent or you're an influencer of some sort, you almost have to have that in writing. Like, what, what am I? 
as the influencer going to be posting for you? How many times do I have to post it? Exactly. There are so many guidelines that you just have to have. And for a brand, you want to know what you're getting. You're paying for the most part, you're paying the influencer. So why would you not have a contract with them? Like, what? (laughs) What? You'd be surprised. Oh my goodness. I'm sure it sounds like they keep you busy though. So no complaints there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So Andrea, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your services? Yeah, so definitely my website, andreasager.com. You can get the small biz vault there. I also have a trademark checklist that you can download to see the most common things that can be trademarked within your business. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest at Andrea Sager Law. And I'm everywhere. So definitely come say hi. I love that. Andrea, you are so full of light and wisdom. Thank you so much for bringing an abundant wealth of knowledge to the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Oh, thank you. I've had so much fun. I've linked Andrea's website, social channels, and even her amazing small business contract vault in this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. Don't forget that I've opened a section on the mindbizlife.com website called Ask L. Within this section, you'll find a form where you can submit your life or business questions for a chance to have them answered on the podcast. Remember, if I don't have an answer for you, I'll bring in an expert for an episode to help us flush it out. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at at MindBizLife. I'll see you back here next week for another episode, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.